Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Hey folks, Lieutenant Carl Allen West here at Watchtower Firearms. This is the uh, custom design uh, AR-15 that was just made for me. It's got my Steadfast and Loyal logo there. On this side, you can see my signature, my Master Parachutist wings, of course, American flag. And I just want to tell you that you can't be a great American unless you have a great American weapon. And that's exactly what Watchtower Firearms is building. Great American weapons all American parts manufactured right here in the great state of Texas. And oh, by the way, the, uh, let me see, where is the serial number on this one? TX 1836. If you're from Texas, I think you know what that means. God bless you. God bless Washtow. Hey, greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Step Fast and Loyal podcast. You know, we are going out and interviewing and talking to some of the candidates that are running here in Texas in the State House and the State Senate. You know, a little interesting uh, bit of trivia. In the Texas State House, there are 150 seats. In the Texas State Senate, there are 31. You know what that's based upon? 150 Psalms and 31 Proverbs. That number never changes. They will read uh, a portion or whatever, redraw the districts, but it's always 150 and 31. That's how important our Judeo-Christian faith heritage is to us here in Texas, and it should be to us in the United States of America. But we're talking with a young man by the name of Jace Yarbrough, who is running for Texas State Senate in District Number 30. Jace Yarbrough is a seventh-generation Texan, a veteran, attorney, and a family man. After his military service, Jace became a litigator taking on religious discrimination, challenging the misuse of taxpayer dollars for abortion travel, and going up against the United States Air Force brass twice to defend his own First Amendment rights against COVID-19 vaccine mandates and woke DEI policies. In Texas, he recently served as counsel to State Senator Angela Paxton. He earned a bachelor's degrees, bachelor's degrees, I'm sorry, in electrical engineering and government from the University of Texas, Austin. That's the other UT. You know, before then, it was a University of Tennessee. There's no Texas without Tennessee volunteers. I just have to clarify that. Well, welcome to the SEC, where he had interned for the Texas Public Policy Foundation and has a law degree from the Stanford Law School, where he served as president of his law school's chapter of the Federalist Society. Jace, thanks for joining us here at Step Fast and Law Podcast. Thanks for having me, Colonel. Appreciate All right, a lot going on here in the state of Texas. Let's talk about, first and foremost, why Texas State Senate District 30. Yeah, so uh, I have felt a vocational call to politics for a long time. Mm -hmm. 
and have tried to steward that calling well, staying informed, uh, creating voter guides during primary season, general elections, serving as a precinct chair and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Since that eventually God would call me to run, uh, mm -hmm. but this seat popped up fairly late. You may be familiar, yeah. your viewers may be familiar with some of the background here, but yeah. it was a very late announcement by the incumbent, Senator Springer, that he was not gonna seek reelection. Mm -hmm. and, and it's they, been some, some turmoil because Congressman Pat Fallon had decided he was gonna come back to his old seat, and then he decided to change, and now we've got you running in that seat. That's that right, seat. yeah, that's right. So as the deadline approached, because of all of that kind of back and forth, mm -hmm. Uh, there were there were a couple options in the race, and uh, me and some local elected officials, grassroots leaders, uh, voters, neighbors, didn't feel like there was a candidate in the race who would adequately represent our values, both yeah. in terms of work ethic um, and and where we stand on a number of issues. So, um, you know, Colonel, this is a this is a, a Senate district that, though the lines have since been redrawn, mm -hmm. you know, would have voted for President Trump by 23 points. Mm -hmm. It's a very red district, mm -hmm. and our conviction is it needs a very red senator to represent it. Mm -hmm. And so we got into the race to offer that competent, effective, and very conservative option to, to our voters. Just to orient the people, because this podcast is seen by a lot of folks outside the state of Texas, you know, we are currently in the North Texas area, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Where is State Senate District 30 in relation to the Dallas-Fort Worth? Metroplex. Sure. So it, it stretches north from uh, kind of north of DFW up to the Oklahoma border. Some mm -hmm. of the major towns up there, Sherman and Denison over on mm -hmm. the east side. We go all the way over to Wichita Falls and then come down and grab Weatherford. So down to I-20 and yeah. then up around Wise County and, and northeast Denton County. Okay. And that's a big swath. It is. Yes, sir. Uh, so it touches 11 different counties, yeah. about a million, about a million citizens. Every Texas Senate district has about that many that many folks in it. So it's a big district. When you're out and about, and I'm quite sure how you're going to ask, what are the top three yep. priorities that you hear from the folks that will be voting in this primary? Yeah, border security, property taxes, and education. Okay, Those are the three big ones that we talk about. Um, so what's going on at our southern border right now is... Um, is dangerous and unprecedented mm -hmm. and unbelievable in many ways. Uh, there has never been a time in our history when a group of people invaded our state. Mm -hmm. We pushed back to keep them out and the Department of Justice, the federal government sued us yeah. on behalf of the invaders. Uh, that, is, that is unprecedented. Yeah. And I think uh, there are some deep constitutional issues that are being, uh, being forced to the surface. And mm -hmm. a lot of political actors are having to make tough decisions. I applaud the governor's stance and what he's doing. Um, I think that the issues that are being presented to us now, um, you know, one of the things we'll have, to, we'll have to think hard about is, for example, our approach to judicial supremacy. Yes. So there came a time in the 20th century where we decided, well, whatever the Supreme Court says, that must be the law of the land and all of us have to follow it no matter what. There's plenty of precedent in our history to suggest otherwise. To yeah. suggest Plessy versus Ferguson, I mean, that's one. Sure, yes sir. Um, and any, any constitutional actor, from the Justice of the Peace all the way up to the President of the United States, mm -hmm. has a responsibility to fulfill their constitutional duties as they understand them. Mm -hmm. And so just because the Supreme Court says X about a particular issue, mm -hmm. um, you know, that doesn't mean that that should be the controlling precedent moving forward. Uh, you know, a great example of this in the Dred Scott decision, which yes, was, a, was another a, one. a very significant uh, issue when you know President Lincoln was running and, mm -hmm. and he and Douglas had many debates. You know, he said something that I think is very salient, right? Um, okay, so the Constitution requires me, would require me as the executor in chief to honor the court's decision. Well, the court has decisional authority over the case and controversy in front of it. So as to these parties, as to Dred Scott and his wife, they are the property of his owner, they must go back with him, okay. But that's not a precedent that I have to follow in any decision moving forward. 
right? And so I think that's an example of the kind of creative conservative leadership mm -hmm. we need right now and that has been demonstrated in our past. And so again, I, I, I encourage um, all the folks in our state and local governments to, uh, to fulfill their constitutional duties, particularly as it comes to protecting yeah. our own borders as they understand it. Do you think we need to have a special session called to, to get this thing right uh, as far as what we should be doing to protect our Texas National Guard and protect our sovereignty? <clears throat> so I'll say we do need a long-term solution at the border. Yeah. So my brother was a, was a state trooper, mm -hmm. and he was, he was a state trooper when Operation Lone Star got kicked up back almost three years ago now. Mm -hmm. And they had just adopted four kiddos out of the Texas foster care system, uh, which was a monumental undertaking on their part, much to be applauded. But because he was down at the border two weeks and then back at his home station near San Angelo, Texas for two weeks, mm -hmm. and one of those two weeks at home he was on nights, mm -hmm. with all that adjustment, he was seeing his kids two days a month. Mm. And the point of the telling is that's unsustainable. Yeah. Right? We cannot continue to put a Band-Aid on and what's going on. And that's not their duty and Correct. responsibility as a state Absolutely. trooper. Yeah. And one of the things that frustrated him was his inability to actually do anything when he was down there at the border yes. himself. Right? He would, Unless they basically approached him, he did nothing. And if they approached him, he would document them and then drop them off at a local stripe, yeah. a local gas station. And so we do need to stand up a border protection unit yeah. that is specific to our border, understand that the governor is going to be the one who has executional authority and operational control over that unit. And the legislature should make very clear our intent is for that unit to use maximally aggressive rules of rules of engagement mm -hmm. when it comes to somebody who's trying to cross illegally into our mm -hmm. into our state. And I appreciate and applaud the legislature in the fourth special session. They did make it a, a felony to simply cross illegally. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in the last couple of weeks, folks have been arrested for doing that. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. That's a very small step in the right direction. Uh, but this is a long-term problem that's yeah. going to require a long-term solution. You're absolutely right. Let's go to the second issue that you brought up, and that's the property tax relief. Sure. You know, we all know Texas has some of the highest property taxes that are out there. Why isn't anything been done? You know, you keep hearing Band-Aid, Band-Aid, Band-Aid over the second chest wound. But we're not getting to the point where we have to rectify the situation because here in Texas, you can own your, your land, but pay off your house, but it's never yours. Yes, yes. Uh, in addition to that very fundamental and moral argument, I mean, there are a lot of folks out in Senate District 30. We got a lot of rural folks yes. out in the western part of, of, of our district. And we have to find a way to support our needs without risking people losing homes and land that's been in their family for generations, mm -hmm. right? Our policies should encourage strong families to put down roots and build lasting legacies. Mm -hmm. And right now, our property tax uh, regime doesn't do that. In fact, it does the opposite, mm -hmm. right? People in the city, oh, that's great. You know, the value of my house is X, Y, Z. If I sell it, I'll get this much of a windfall, right? Mm -hmm. Folks out in the West, they don't want to do that. I mean, this is land that they've been given that sometimes their great-great-grandparents have owned, right? So um, I, I fundamentally agree with that. And, you know, there are ways to do it, policy proposals, right? We could say, hey, there's going to be a certain percentage of any surplus that's necessarily going to be de de designated to buying down maintenance and operational pieces mm -hmm. of the school uh, property taxes. We can also shift from a ad valorem tax to a consumption tax. I was right? just going to ask you that. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So expanding the number of items without raising mm -hmm. rates necessarily that mm -hmm. are subject to that, um, I'm absolutely open to that. But at the end of the day, we want our policies to reflect what we want, which is strong communities, people who love the place where they're mm -hmm. from, so they invest in it and they build for the future. Well, and without a doubt, I think that that property tax issue goes to the third issue, which is educational freedom. Yes. And for whatever reason, I am just befuddled why we cannot get educational freedom. Some people call it school choice, but you know, I call it educational freedom. 
why we can't get that passed in the state of Texas. Yes, I agree. So the way I refer to it is parental empowerment education, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, parents know best the education that is right for their kids. Yes. And we want to give parents of all socioeconomic means the, the, the ability to do that. I've thought a lot about <clears throat> I've thought a lot about education over the past couple of years because my wife and I and some close friends actually started last year a little classical Christian academy. I know I read that, um, and it's been a blessing for us, and it's caused us to um, to really dig into okay, what's the purpose of an educational system? What should we be about as a people? What kind of folks do we citizens do we need and want to to produce? So I'm a product of public schools all the way through. Mm -hmm. I, I went to a, a public school in a tiny rural community, and I had a good experience. But I had a good experience because my teachers were with me in church on Sunday, mm -hmm. because my mom was a substitute teacher and she was up there, because we were still subjected to corporal punishment if we got out of line, mm -hmm. right? There were rules in that place to form our characters. But we as a state and the, the, the individuals and the bureaucracies that control our certifications as well as our curriculum, they have fundamentally flipped what education is and ought to be about. And the best way I know how to describe this is an example from this past session. So I was down at the Capitol when HB 900, the Reader Act, mm -hmm. which is a bill that's designed to get pornography out of public mm -hmm. schools. And now unfortunately, that is actually a debate we have to have. It's actually something we have to, to, to attempt to do here in Texas. So I was down there when Jared Patterson, the House sponsor who laid that bill out, was in front of the Education Committee. One of the members of that committee was Representative Hinojosa. She's a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats' approach to attacking HB 900 was to hold up or bring with them books that they liked or benefited from that would be banned, they thought, if HB 900 was passed. And in Representative Hinojosa's case, she brought a book with her that she said her seven and nine-year-old boys were very interested in. And she held it up, and it was clear that the book was about feces and flatulence. And what she said was, these are the only kind of books that my boys want to read. If you get your bill. I'm not going to be able to give them these kinds of books anymore, and they won't know how to read. And what I thought was, at, in the moment, I thought, so would you give your 16-year-old a Playboy magazine yeah. hoping that he'd read the comments? Yeah. Right? What you are doing is you're inflaming the venial desires of your children in order to get them good at a technique. Mm -hmm. Right? We have this conception that education is communicating facts and techniques to a brain, but that's not what education mm -hmm. is. I would rather my children know what good, true, and beautiful things taste like. Yes. So that even if they're illiterate and they can't explain to me in words why something is good and something is evil, they know they're right still drawn. That's exactly right. Yeah. That should be what our educational system is about. And it is so far gone. And I'm not, I'm not one that says we should cut the public school system loose at all. I think we should definitely audit several statewide mm -hmm. organizations and figure out exactly what it is and why it is that they're behaving the way they're behaving. I think we should. Well, it's interesting because, you know, that representative's argument would be, I want my kids to listen to profanity-laced rap music to get them better at grammatical enunciation. Yes. I mean, how silly it is. But, but yes. that shows the, the level of depravity pravity that we have with the progressive socialist left. And, and that's another thing I think we need to talk about. You know, the incursions that the left has made here in Texas, does that concern you? Yeah. Some of the things that yeah. you see happening? Yes, absolutely it does. And, um, you know, the public school education and the public school system itself is one of those, right? So just in Senate District 30, one of our local school boards recently voted to put a pediatric clinic in a local high school. Now, <clears throat> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that they're going to start providing what they call health care mm -hmm. to those kids without their parents knowing about it. Yeah. 
And, um, and I'm, I'm open to the idea that there are some kids who need certain kinds of health care that can't get it at home. That's great. We need mm -hmm. to figure a solution. But our schools have proven that they're controlled by people who are adverse to Texas families and their values. Mm -hmm. And we should in no way trust them around healthcare professionals without significant oversight from parents. Um, I think that a lot of people have been quiet about the things that they see and they know are wrong for mm -hmm. too long. Mm -hmm. And I, I will say that before I went to law school, I was one of those people. We thought, oh, you know, I, we're, we all agree. We yeah. all want the same things. Yeah. You know, everybody's trying to, to just... They're not get, that bad. That's right. They're, they're, they're operating in good faith, yes. right? And I, I went to a very liberal law school between the... Stanford, yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, in the 2016 election. So I was there 2015 to 2018. And it was the response, not of my student peers, but of the administrators that, that radicalized me. I realized that really what the left wants is operational control over me. Of course. They want to make me speak and do the things that they want, not not because even they think those things are right, but because it proves that they have power over It's me. totalitarianism. It's exactly right. It's totalitarianism. And I actually, you know, I said as much in a speech that I gave at a buddy's retirement ceremony. So I'm still an active reservist. Um, he asked me to come out and speak at his retirement ceremony, and I did that in a non-military capacity. Yeah. I wasn't in status. Um, and I said, hey, this, he was the first, he was my first NCO, the first operational flight I ever commanded. We had a really strong relationship. As you know, mm. that relationship between a junior officer and a senior NCO is a you strong You never forget one. it. That's right. And I, I never will. And I count him among my, one of my closest friends today. Um, and I said, hey, this guy exhibited everything that a young officer needs from a senior NCO, which was courage and competence. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the military is encouraging exactly the opposite. Yeah. Because we're using cancel culture and woke ideology to single out the people that are wrong thinking, and then we ostracize them, we end their careers. And I was officially reprimanded for saying as much. And I quoted actually Solzhenitsyn, mm -hmm. um, who you know was a, a, dis a dissident mm -hmm. in, um, from communism, mm -hmm. speaking out against totalitarianism, right? And one of Solzhenitsyn's famous lines, which I quoted and which I was reprimanded specifically for, was saying, well, maybe the lie will come, but it's not gonna come through me. Mm -hmm. And I think more people need to stand up and, and take that attitude. I'm not going to participate in a system and in euphemisms and in language mm -hmm. that I know to be false. I'm going to be a person of wholeness and integrity. These are the things that I believe. And maybe you and the crazies will win one day, but I'm not going to participate. Well, it is quite Orwellian what we see happening, not just here in Texas, but across the country where truth is condemned and attacked and denigrated and disparaged because we do have this propaganda machine that wants to keep us unaware, uninformed, and disengaged and disenfranchised yes. as well. Yes. Okay, final question. We're talking about Texas State Senate District 30. Yes, sir. So this is the question you're going to answer to the, to the audience out there. Why is it important, not just here in the state of Texas, why is it important for the United States of America? Absolutely. So <clears throat> in Texas, there are 31 state senators. Each of our Senate districts is gerrymandered. It's going to be a partisan. Uh, they're, they're, they're partisanly gerrymandered. So there are going to be 19 Republican state senators in this state when the next session begins in 2025. That is one nineteenth of the legislative power of the state of Texas, which is a leader, a beacon. Um, people are coming to Texas because of what they understand Texas to be. There's a lot of power in this seat. If red representation doesn't come from the reddest parts of our state, it's not gonna come from anywhere. The second thing I'll say is even more practical and close to home, which is these folks might be entering our border illegally, but we are seeding them. The federal government is, mm -hmm. is mortgaging the futures of our children to put military-aged men mm -hmm. anywhere they want to go in this country. If you see a Chinese national 
come across our border, a military-aged Chinese national come across our border, he is not coming here because he wants more McDonald's and, the, and a university education. He is an agent of the Communist Party of China, and we have got to start acting like it. So to protect your own communities, I'm asking for your support in the Texas Senate. It, it's vitally important, not only for our state, but also for, for, the, for the country for that reason. Well, I appreciate you being here with us so very much. How can people follow your campaign and how can people support you? Sure. So you can go to jacefortexas.com. J-A-C-E. J-A-C-E, ace with a J, F-O-R, okay. texas.com. We are the grassroots campaign. Um, we are the grassroots conservative option in this race. Um, so go and support us there. You can follow us on social media. If you live in Senate District 30, get in contact with us. Um, we have a number of volunteers around the, the district that are helping us out. We can get you plugged in with with uh, with our team to help us in that way too. Well, you have my firm support and endorsement of the steadfast and loyal team here. Uh, even though you're Air Force, <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to be in the Air Force. Their IQ test was too hard. But thank you for being a brother in arms and thank you for doing what veterans have to do, continuing their oath of service to this constitutional republic. Yeah. So God bless you so much, Jason. Go out there and win this. Early voting starts when? February 20th. And February it 20th. ends when? March 5th is primary day. Okay. And remember, early voting will end the 1st of March here. Uh, and then they take that break. And that's why we got to make sure that we print out those tapes and they're not kept in those machines because a lot of nefarious things can happen there. So please go to jace4texas.com. That's right. And learn more about Jace Yarbrough. Those of you all that are here in Texas, those of you all who are definitely in State Senate District 30, and of course, all of you out there across the United States of America, there was a book that I wrote that said, hold Texas, hold the nation. That's how important this state is. And there's a reason why Joe Biden has picked a fight with Texas, but I will tell you, he picked the wrong fight. So ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this podcast, please click the like button and share it with others. And until next time, steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down.